Praise God, everyone. It is good to be here. And I'm glad that you have made it to a youth service at Slavic Christian Center. Um, thank you for everyone who participated um, in the service. It was a good service. We can, we can already just leave home. I feel like we've received enough spiritual nourishment. And I was wondering, should we just, you know, end it here? But since I've prepared this, I'm going to share it with you. Um, because it's, it's something that I have been thinking about. Um, not because I'm like, oh, I'm just thinking about random stuff. Because it personally affected my life and affects my life right now. And that is the topic of conscience. Conscience. Uh, in, in Russian, it's sovist. Um, conscience is made up of two words, con, science. Con means inner, science means knowledge. So inner knowledge or like an inner feeling. And we, when people talk about their conscience, they talk about like, oh, you know, something on the inside that it's a certain feeling almost that it doesn't, it's not necessarily telling you, do, you know, what exactly to do, but it's kind of pointing you in the right direction. And um, the interesting thing is, is that our uh, conscience is uh, very important to God. Like God created the conscience, it's a good thing, and God cares about our conscience. He, um, he, there's verses, and we'll look at these verses that talk about how we need to protect our conscience and how we need to mature in our conscience. Um, if you could just think about this. I'm going to bring this example, and then I'll tie it into why every single person on earth, Christian or unbeliever, has a conscience. Think about a superhero, let's say Superman, and think about him being um, somehow, like, being a good guy, but throughout, throughout his story, um, you realize that he's actually a bad guy. And so the, mo- like the movie or the book or whatever ends, any superhero... And you're left with this impression. Everyone's praising this person, but in reality, he's actually evil. In reality, and like it's very evident, at least to you, that this is an evil person and people aren't seeing the real him and he's just playing everyone or she's just playing everyone. The interesting thing is if, if that ever does happen, if there's a book like that, it, it, cause, it causes a certain outrage with the people who read that kind of material or watch that, like unbelievers, they read that and they, or they see something like that and they have a cognitive dissonance. Their conscience, literally, like they're in the thing that's given to every one of us, it begins to like tell them like, bro, something's up here. Like this person is brought up in a good light, but he's actually a bad person. This, you know what I mean? Like something is off. And People, believers and unbelievers, they, they are, they're able to feel these things, like good, bad, right, wrong. Now, I will clarify that believers have a different kind of conscience, and we'll talk about the kind of conscience they have um, that's different from the unbelievers. But my point is that even unbelievers have a conscience, and God meant that to, to be the case, because our conscience, believe it or not, leads us to Christ, Our conscience is given to us by God so that the Holy Spirit can work with and on our conscience and, in a sense, make us feel bad. Like, you know, because when you think about conscience, what do you think about? Like, you just think about a bad feeling that you get when you do something off, you know? Uh, And the Bible actually talks about it, that this bad feeling is not always bad in God's eyes. God, God actually says that, uh, Paul, I think Paul says, he's like, yeah, there's a sorrow, like a bad feeling that people get, but it's to salvation. 
Like people get a, a certain sorrow, and then this sorrow, they're like, bro, something's off here. Something doesn't feel right. I did something wrong. I need, I need to fix this. That conscience of theirs is messing with their, with their mind, is messing with them. And the Holy Spirit uses that and brings them to repentance. And I don't know if, if you've experienced this in your life, but I've experienced it in my life where my conscience um, would, would uh, judge me or my conscience would tell me that something is off. And I believe the Holy Spirit would uh, work on our conscience. I, I believe the Holy Spirit, as a Christian matures, is better able to work with a person's conscience to really pinpoint like the good and the bad, what to do, what not to do. But I've had it in my life where my conscience would convict me and I would repent. Before God. In fact, I feel like I came to God um, when everything was good. There was, I didn't, you know, nothing in my mind seemed off. Uh, But the Holy Spirit, now I'm realizing, working alongside my conscience was like awakening my conscience from the sleep. And my conscience was pointing uh, at me and saying, Andre, you're really a bad person. Look at this, look at here, look at there. And so the conscience was working with the Holy Spirit to bring me to repentance. And one day I like couldn't take it anymore, literally walked into my dad's office. I'm like, bro, like I don't know what's happening. I feel so bad. I didn't say bro. I said, I feel so bad. And he's like, oh, like, you know, we, we started talking about it. And I'm like, everything's like, everything's good. You know, you have friends, sports, everything's good. But you have this uh, feeling, this understanding that like something is off. I'm li- somehow I'm living my life in the wrong direction. It was the Holy Spirit working alongside the innate conscience that was inside me, bringing me to repentance. And time came, I repented. And so uh, a conscience is a good thing. But what I, what I want to... What, let me make, take a step back and say this. These thoughts, okay, this is a difficult topic for me because this is something that confuses me. So many, a couple of times I would come up to my dad, my mom was there also, and we would just talk about some of these things. I'm like, how does this work? Like, why does, why does it hurt so bad? Why does your conscience hurt you so bad? And then why does, sometimes it doesn't hurt you? Like, how does it work? And so some of these thoughts aren't mine, and I'll say that up front. Um, what, one thing I will say is our our conscience, in my mind at least, if, if the Holy Spirit is a, a GPS, Google Maps, um, probably not Apple Maps because Apple Maps is not that you know, direct. It doesn't bring you to the right place always. Go, we'll just go with Google Maps. Then, then your conscience is a compass. If, if, if the Holy Spirit is Google Maps, your conscience is a compass, meaning Holy Spirit will tell you exactly what's wrong. Sometimes you, people literally say they hear an audible voice, like the Holy Spirit just speaks to them, or Holy Spirit just gives them a vision, like literally showing them what's up, showing them, you know, warning them, or telling them, you know, what not to do or what to do. And sometimes you just have this feeling of like, it's not a conscience anymore. It's a very direct feeling. It's the leading of the Holy Spirit, and only Christians are able to have that because unbelievers, the Holy Spirit only works on unbelievers to bring them to repentance. And then once they're in, you know, with Christ, then the Holy Spirit can do all that stuff to them. But the conscience, it's more like a compass. It shows you north and south. It shows you good and bad. It shows you black and white. And even then, it, it's not flawless. It's not flawless. The Holy Spirit being God is flawless, always perfect, always 
pinpointing into the right direction. Always showing you exactly what's wrong. The, the, your conscience is, you know, you walk into a, magnet, a magnetic field of some sort. You're in the Bermuda Triangle. And, bro, the thing doesn't work anymore. You're like, what's happening? And it could be a lot of things that's happening. It could be your emotional state. You're so emotionally worked up that your compass, your conscience isn't working as it should. It could be some other circumstance. But my point is, and we're not going to get into why a conscience is like a compass. But it... For, for the sake of this uh, sermon, you're, we're just going to compare a conscience to a, a, a compass, meaning it points you to the right direction, and often it might, um, it, it, it can't show you exactly where you're wrong, but it just tells you that you're wrong, and it's like, figure it out, <laughs> and you're like, okay, what did I do? Let's, let's think about this. I feel bad, so obviously my conscience is telling me that something's up. And, and, and so you start working, and the Holy Spirit, I believe, really guides a Christian into pinpointing what exactly needs to happen. So um, two things that I will mention about a conscience. The reason I, be, I started thinking about this, by the way, is this story. Uh, we read uh, 1 Samuel 24, and there's another story in 1 Samuel 25. So literally two chapters back to back. It's a story of David, and David interests me because he was very close to the heart of God, meaning his uh, his ability to hear the Holy... Well, I'm just going to say the Holy Spirit, although it's Old Testament. His ability to hear the Holy Spirit, to, to be close to God, is just surprises me. And what surprises me more is that the Bible doesn't always say, Oh, David listened to God. Oh, David you know, did what God told him. David listened to the prophet. Sometimes the Bible literally says, David listened to his conscience. And he did the right thing by doing... Like, and when you read the story, you realize, Oh, he's doing the right thing here. Because... Um, He's, and as he's listening to the conscience. So uh, the, the idea is this, that our conscience is part of us. And if we are ever wanting to be good, strong, mature Christians, I believe our conscience needs to be good, strong, and mature in Christ. And I believe David's, uh, David's life is an example of a conscience that's very close to perfect. And yet we'll see that even in David's life, I believe his conscience wasn't perfect. Like the, the point is that your conscience isn't God. The Holy Spirit is God, but your conscience is what God has given you. So let's read together. First Samuel 24, 1 Samuel 24, 1-7. The, the, the background of this chapter is David's running away from Saul. He is now hiding in a cave with a bunch of his men. He's a shepherd, and he's hiding in these shepherd caves. I think he knew exactly like... You know, as, as Saul's like catching up to him, he's like, bro, that cave goes in deep. Let's run in there. Let's let him pass through. And so they run in there. They're waiting. And out of nowhere, Saul decides to relieve himself, either to take a nap or go to the bathroom. And so he walks into the same cave that David and all his men are in. And so they're sitting there. And the guys, David's guys are like, bro, like this is, this is an early birthday. Like, you know, the guy who's trying to kill you is here by himself, um, you know, using a restroom or something, like, kill him. This is it. Like, this is, and what's interesting, you'll, you'll see, I believe I, I added this in, in the text, that they actually quote a prophecy. Many people, actually, throughout David's life before he became king would quote prophecies. Uh, when time came to, like, almost, you know, when he could potentially kill Saul, they would quote prophecies that prophets would speak during that time of, like, David's going to be king and he, all his enemies are going to be defeated and, um, you know, basically that Saul's going to die. And so these, these men of his are quoting a prophecy saying, David, this is the time that God spoke about that I'm going to put all your enemies under your feet, kill Saul. Let's see what happens. After Saul returned from fighting the Philistines, 
He was told that David had gone into the wilderness of Engedi. Saul chose 3,000 elite troops, uh, verse 1. Uh, from all Israel, and went to search for David and his men near the rocks of the wild goats. At the place where the road passes some sheepfold, Saul went into the cave to relieve himself. But as it happened, David and his men were hiding further back in the very cave. Now's your opportunity, David's men whispered to him. Today the Lord is telling you, quote of a, of a prophecy. I'm not certain it's a prophecy, but it was, it was a quote. They're quoting something. I will certainly put your enemy into your power to do with him as you wish. So David crept forward, cut off a piece of the hem of Saul's robe. And now listen to this. Then David's conscience began bothering him. And you know why it began bothering him? Like, is it because he, he was going to kill Saul? This is, this, this is what amazes me about the conscience. It began bothering him because he had cut a part of Saul's robe off. That's what it says. Because he had cut off the edge of Saul's robe. That's what the scriptures say. So that, I'm not theorizing here. This is what the scriptures say. So David's conscience, his men are back there, and we don't know why he is, you know, next to Saul with a knife, cutting off an edge of his robe. Many people say that if, you know, his men have just quoted this prophecy, and um, the next scene that we see. So the first scene we see is David is hiding back with his men and his men are like, go kill Saul. Second scene, David is with a knife cutting off a piece of, of, of Saul's robe. Many people logically come to the conclusion that he was there not just to cut off a piece of Saul's robe, he was there to, 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 to shank Saul. You know what I mean? Just like, just kill him there. Because, and, and it makes sense. It makes sense. He had the knife, he was by Saul. But something bizarre happens. David's conscience begins bothering him because he cut a piece of Saul's cloth off. And, and what happens? Um, he, then David said to his men, if we could do verse 6, he said to his men. So he returns back to his men somehow because they're talking now. You know what I mean? Like they're not talking in front of Saul. Somehow he like walks away or maybe Saul's robe was put to the side. But somehow I don't think Saul heard this. Far be it from me because the Lord uh, of the Lord that I should do this thing to my Lord. The Lord's anointed to stretch out my hand against him since he is the Lord's anointed. And the Bible says David restrained his men from killing Saul. The guy who's trying to kill all of them, David stops his men from killing it because his conscience is convicting him, not even of killing Saul, but cutting a piece of his robe off. My point, sometimes your conscience can be oversensitive. And sometimes, sometimes, that's not always a bad thing. In this case, what I see is that David's conscience is overreacting a little bit. It's, it's, again, it's a compass. This isn't the Holy Spirit. It's a compass that just kind of points into the right direction. It doesn't pinpoint you into, into exactly what you need to do. But David's conscience, because he had worked it out so well, was pointing him into the right direction. It was missing the main point. Like, David's conscience should have convicted him that, you know, he was probably trying to kill Saul or something. I don't know. But David's conscience convicts him that he cuts off his robe. And because of that, David takes a huge step back and is like, wait, what am I doing? Why did I cut a piece of his robe off? Turns back to his men and stops them from killing Saul. So, one point, my, my first point about a conscience. Well, I made a, a couple already. But something that we have to understand about a conscience is that um, it could be overreactive sometimes. And sometimes that's okay, and I will mention that sometimes that's not okay. Sometimes it's not okay for your conscience to overreact. In this case, it was okay for David because it stopped him from doing something bad. But there are times, um, and I'll just say these examples, um, 
you don't know these people, and they're not even in our church. But there's, I mean, I, I, I had I, a personal example. There was a time in my life where I couldn't pray in shorts, period. And this was, it's an interesting story. I was young, and there came a time in my life where that uh, hurdle was very important. I was a missionary trip, and it really helped me to just, you know, think like the people who live there. And actually, you know, that's how they thought you need to pray. And, and I was like, bro, I know exactly what you're talking about. Because there was a time in my life... Out of nowhere, I wasn't taught this. No one told me. I was, just came to God, and every time I'd put on shorts and go out prayer, my conscience would convict me. And logically, I'm sitting there, and I'm like, bro, this has nothing to do with prayer. Like, God does not, like, I'm by myself in a forest right now. You know what I mean? Like, God doesn't care if I'm in a tank top or in a shirt, if I'm in pants or in shorts, if I'm in sandals or in shoes. Like, the, the, the idea is for me to talk to God. And, and sometimes, listen to this, an overreactive conscience can lead you away from the important things, like praying. So my conscience would take me from praying and be like, your clothes, your clothes, man, your clothes have to be right. And it, the, the, the thing here is not to just go against your conscience. You know, I might say, well, if you know logically that that's not right, and you talk to, let's say, your dad or your pastor, and your dad and your pastor are like, yeah, bro, like, this, that's not wrong to pray in shorts. But your conscience is still convicting you. The idea isn't to just bulldoze your conscience because your conscience is part of you. The idea is to get closer to God. And I believe the, the best way to fix, to make, create a healthy conscience in a person is to be really close to God. Meaning, allow the Holy Spirit to dominate your conscience and work with your conscience. Because your conscience is part of your soul. Your conscience sometimes just wants to do its own thing. And it points you into the right direction, but sometimes, like in my case, it's pointing you into the direction of holiness, right? For me, that was an issue of holiness. Praying in shorts was not holy. But really, it's kind of this, to me at least, it was an ultra holiness that um, it, 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 it was something that I needed to get over. That being said, that being said, I, there, are, there are denominations that teach that. And that is not just okay for them. That is very good for them. Like, there's things that we teach that other people look at us and they're like, why do you guys teach that? There's, there's reasons for that. And, and people, really smart people, set those rules in place. But that's the thing about conscience. It is unique to every person and it can be a little overreactive. That overreaction could be good or bad. And the, the, the idea is to get as close to God as you possibly can. Because if you're not close to God, if you just have this, if you just come to church, right? You have a conscience and now you're a Christian, bro. And you're not close to God, your conscience is going to start playing tricks on you. Your conscience is going to be throwing you to the left or to the right. You're going to be doing stuff. And there's people that that I know about, unfortunately, or heard about, that would, like, not be able to sit in, the, in church, like, physically not be able to come and sit on the pews because their conscience was telling them, right, it wasn't the Holy Spirit, you're not holy enough. So they would sit out in the hallway. And so people would be like, okay, the person's sitting out in the hallway. Whereas, well, soon now the person is laying on the porch and, people, and telling the people, step over me because I'm not holy enough. I want, I'm literally dust. Step over me. So this person's conscience is literally destroying them. And, and the idea is that Satan, I believe, Satan can use your conscience against you. And we'll talk about that. There's verses that talk about a cleansed conscience that's washed in the blood of Jesus. What does that imply? That there's a conscience that's not washed in the blood of Jesus or that has been now again subjected to the rule of Satan and, 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 and it starts playing tricks on you. Does that make sense? 
people in the back. Bro, I, like, I don't want to overwhelm you with this stuff, but this is something, maybe someone's struggling with this. I talk to some people, and, and we struggle with this. As, a, as, as Slavic churches, uh, or youth in Slavic churches, we struggle with this, with conscience. Another thing, our conscience can underperform. So it could be overreactive or it can underperform. This is, this is the bizarrest story ever. The reason, and so next chapter, chapter 25, same guy, David, right? His conscience was just convicting him that he cut off someone's robe. Now um, he sends 10 of his guys to a really rich dude who's having a party. And he's like, hey, um, when your shepherds were out in, the, in like the desert, my 600 guys were protecting them. We were literally the security guards for your people for a, whatever period of time. Nothing went missing. We literally protected your guys. And so he's like, I'm not asking you to pay me. All I'm asking for, you're having a party right now, and my guys are hungry. Can you give us some food? I'm just asking for food. Um, or give us whatever your hand can give you. Uh, give us. And this guy, Nabal, he basically screams insults at these people and sends them away, these 10 guys. And so they come to David, tell him, and he goes, oh, I'm going to kill him. Like, literally, I'm going to kill him. He's like, everyone, take your swords. They, 400 guys take their swords, and they, they start walking over to this guy's house. And David promises, he's like, every guy, male person in this guy's household, Nabal's household, is going to be dead by tomorrow morning, I believe. And so 1 Samuel 25, 30 um, 33 talks about how his, this mean dude's wife hears the story. The, the servant hears these 10 guys come up to Nabal and Nabal scream insults at them. And the servant goes to the wife of this guy and says, hey, you're in trouble because we know David. Um, like this dude has a little army with him. Your husband just like screamed insults at his, his men. And these guys, I was there. They protected us for a period of time. Like they were our security. Um, like something's about to go down. You, you need to do something. And so she takes a bunch of food, walks over to where David meets him as he's walking with 400 guys to kill her family. And this is, uh, this is what she says. She says other things. She's a very smart woman. Bro, like if you, if you want to read, just read her speech. She, she was smart. I don't know if she like wrote it down, but she is using allegories. She, cause David, you know, he killed Goliath with a sling. He's like, the Lord's gonna, um, I, I forget what it, but she like uses, put slings in there and like says all this like beautiful stuff and basically convinces David not to kill her husband. But here's, here's, I think the kicker. This is, I think what got David. I don't think he fell for the slings when she was like, you know, she didn't really say that you killed Goliath with a sling, but she kind of threw some slings in there um, in her, in, like implying. Uh, but verse 30, 33, she mentions his conscience. She goes, don't let this blemish uh, be a blemish on your record. Then your conscience, so this is 1 Samuel 25, 30. Then your conscience won't have to bear the staggering burden of needless bloodshed and vengeance. And when the Lord has done all these things to you, remember me. Oh, and David remembered her because she, she soon became his wife. But uh, that, that aside, she goes after his conscience. And what's interesting, the, the same guy's conscience who was convicting him of cutting a piece of someone's robe off, right? Remember the chapter before? Now, where's David's conscience? He has 400 guys with him, and they're about to kill another Israelite because he didn't give him some food. Yeah, he was mean. Yeah, he didn't give him food. Yes, he protected, you know, his, his sheep and all. But, bro, like, 
After all, David is a fugitive. He is a criminal. And if Saul hears that this guy, Nabal, gave David food, Saul can come up with his elite soldiers and kill Nabal. So in a sense, it almost makes sense that you know, Nabal doesn't give him food because David's a criminal in a, in a sense. He doesn't want to be incriminated with David. But, but David's like, no, I'm going to go kill him. Where's his conscience now? Seriously. Where's his conscience telling him, hey, David, don't kill you know, the whole family, all the dudes. And that's the thing about the conscience is what I want, just want to nail this point. I think that's where the Bible leaves these stories in there. Um, David, David's conscience, as close as he was to God at that point was overwhelmed. I don't know, maybe by his emotions, maybe by his, you know, his pride was really hurt because he's like, dude, who is this guy? And his conscience just didn't perform well enough. Or maybe he suppressed it with all the things that, you know, he was feeling. And he was ready to kill the guy. And if it wasn't for Nabal's wife, his wise wife, David would have, would have killed him. But this is what David says. David replied to Abigail, praise the Lord, the God of Israel, who has sent you to meet me today. Thank God for your good sense. Bless you for keeping me from murder and from carrying out my vengeance with my own hands. Like the light bulb goes on. He's like, bro, what am I, what am I about to do? But it took someone to be like, bro, your conscience is going to be dirty. Like when, you're going to become king. And this is going to be the one thing that you're going to regret, that you killed a whole family because they didn't give you food. So the idea is your conscience can overreact. It can underperform. Um, and it's this compass, north, south, good, bad. But here's the interesting thing. I'm going to go real quick. I'm, we're just going to take a little bit more time and we'll finish. Um, there's, I'm going to talk about a couple of types of consciences that the Bible talks about. There's a damaged conscience. And this is kind of scary, a damaged conscience. 1 Timothy 1.9, cling to your faith in Christ and keep your conscience clear. For some people have deliberately violated their consciences. As a result, their faith has been shipwrecked. Notice how Apostle Paul connects conscience and faith. He goes, your conscience is messed up. You're, gonna have, you're not going to have faith in Christ. You're going to have shipwreck in faith. Meaning, don't just go against your conscience. If your conscience is telling you something, listen. It might, it might be off a little bit, but listen, at least pray about it before God. Don't just bulldoze it. Don't violate it. Don't damage it. Um, and, and this is really, um, you know, someone who, uh, uh, you know, like, thank you for that example, Stan. When, when you're talking, this guy's like, yeah, I'm a Christian. That's a, that's a perfect example. Like, we, we see this every time. Uh, we go to work or to school where people are like, yeah, I'm a Christian. But then they, they start to talk about themselves. You know, you get to know them. And you're like, bro, like, how are you able to live like that? You know, how are you able to cohabit with a girlfriend for 10 years and then dump her and then cohabit with another girlfriend and have a bunch of children all out of wedlock? Like, you know, and th that's a normal occurrence for all of us who work. Like, we know this is nothing special. This happens all the time to Christians. Like, Christians believe that this is okay. And the idea is, like, where did, where, you know, how is that happening? Where's their conscience? And, and this is where their conscience is. You, once you violate your conscience enough, it stops talking to you about that thing. You can shut your conscience up. You can, you can uh, tame your conscience for it to tell you, you know, what you want it to tell you. Meaning, no, not to tell you what you want it to tell you. To not speak. 
to not speak. And so that's where we get Christians being okay with, you know, you know sex before marriage or with homosexuality or with other things, um, you know, illicit substances. Like, where does that come from? Someone has been deliberately taking steps into the wrong direction. Their conscience is obviously speaking because they have a conscience and they go against it. So a damaged conscience. But that's not the scariest thing. I think the, the worst is an erased conscience. First Timothy 4.1.2 says, Now the Holy Spirit tells us clearly that in the last time some will churn away from the true faith. They will follow deceptive spirits and teachings that come from demons. Like, bro, this is scary. I don't know if you guys are following me. Deceptive spirits, okay? Not just lies and teachings that come straight up from demons. These people are hypocrites and liars. Their consciences are dead. So that's, that's kind of, a, if the first step is a damaged conscience, and you do that by constantly violating conscience, the second step is a dead conscience, meaning no conscience at all. Oh, and at that point, you could do whatever you want. You're not going to feel bad about it. That's, that's what the scripture says. And you could literally follow demonic teachings. You're, you're good. Your conscience doesn't say anything. And a person can... F- to say, well, I don't, this feels right, bro, it doesn't matter what you feel if your conscience is dead, like, that. the issue is that you're not feeling the things that you should be feeling, you know what I mean? So, a dead conscience is kind of that last step, now we're talking about following after demonic teachings, after demonic ways of life, these people literally don't feel bad about what they do, um, and I'll just end that there. Um, the third type of conscience, so a damaged conscience, a erased conscience, the third is a guilty conscience. Now, we're all guilty of this, okay, having a guilty conscience. Uh, because any person outside of Christ, and this is bizarre to think about, has a guilty conscience. So because God places an innate, innate meaning like you were born with it, conscience in you, and you rebel against God, you're, ob- you know, before you come to Christ, every one of us, we're just doing our own thing, and our conscience is kind of saying, hey, something's off, something's off. Um, Holy Spirit is working on our conscience to bring us back to Christ. And that feeling of a guilty conscience, and it could either be done away with by constantly violating your conscience, or if a person is just trying to live a kind of correct life, kind of following after his conscience, which is an awesome thing. Um, the, 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 I don't know if you've ever experienced a guilty conscience, but the feelings that you feel when your conscience is guilty is, to me, some of the worst feelings on earth. Literally. I'm not exaggerating. Like, you could be in pain. You could, you know, stuff could go down. But when your conscience is guilty, bro, like, that is, for me at least, the worst. It's, it's a feeling that you can't escape. You're sinking inside, and you're just like, you can't do nothing about it. That the worst thing is that you can't do nothing about it. You could, like, I guess the one way is just to, like, sedate yourself until you literally are unconscious. And that, I guess that's what people do with drugs and alcohol. But the, any other way, like, if your conscience is guilty and you still haven't erased it, like, it's, to me, it was the worst feeling and still is the worst feeling, uh, one of the worst feelings that there is. Um, Hebrews 10.22 says um, something interesting, though. Um, it gives us hope. And, and so the Bible, my message today is a message of hope. It's not a message of, oh, this is... What you have, and I'm sorry that, that you have a conscience because you're going to feel real bad about the bad things you do. There is hope, and it's found here. Let us go right into the presence of God with sincere hearts, fully trusting him. For our, listen to this. For our guilty consciences have been sprinkled 
with Christ's blood to make us clean, and our bodies have been washed away with pure, have been washed with pure water. The only thing that can cleanse your conscience is the blood of Jesus Christ. That is a, a law, a spiritual law. The only thing that can wash away that feeling of a guilty conscience is a person turning to Christ and asking him to save him or her. And um, a guilty conscience, it's, it's very scary because, um, you know, we, we wonder why is there such huge, you know, depression rates, anxiety, suicidal ideation, suicidal attempts, suicide, like so kind of so much mental sicknesses be, and when you think about it, a guilty conscience, it's all in, all in the brain, and it makes sense. If you, if you don't turn to God and you try suppressing it, you're literally fighting against something in you. You're going to go crazy. You're going to go crazy. You're not going to be able to. Some people do make it. They do erase their conscience. You know what they, we call those? Psychopaths. Where they, now they don't feel bad about things. And we're not going to get into, it's another interesting thought. I've, I've shared this before, just a little bit before. And it was just a waste of time, I felt like, to talk about um, kind of psychopaths. And some of them, are, it feels like they're almost born with a, a smaller, we're not going to go there. But the idea is this, that uh, your conscience can be washed by the blood of Jesus Christ. And um, I know from personal experience that, um, let, me, let me read this place, actually. Uh, Hebrews, we're going to be finishing here, 9, 13, and 14. Hebrews 9, 13, and 14. Under the old system, just listen carefully, we'll finish here. The blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of young cows could cleanse people's bodies from ceremonial impurity. Just the bodies. Just think how much more the blood of Christ will purify, again, that word, our consciences from sinful deeds so that we can worship the living God. Have you ever asked forgiveness for something and still felt bad about it? If you do something really bad, that's what happens. You can ask forgiveness literally to the person that you've done it or, you know, to someone else and you'll still feel bad about it because your conscience is still convicting you. And that was the problem, problem with the, you know, sacrificial system. People would bring sacrifices and they would not be able ever to cleanse their conscience. Bro, that is a scary life to live. Imagine the burden of sin, um, always on their shoulders, regardless of what they do. I'm a living testimony, and I want to just be transparent with you guys. I'm a living testimony that God cleanses consciences. God doesn't, God doesn't just make you feel good for you know, that time when you repent and you cry. God is able to take your conscience, and it doesn't matter. That's the idea. Whatever you have done, wherever you have been, whatever you have seen, whatever you have thought about, God is able to take that conscience and cleanse it by his blood. And I'm a testimony that you can live with a pure and clean conscience. Not because you're so great. That's the idea. We're like, we are unable. Physically, we collapse when we try to fight against our conscience. And then when Satan takes a hold of our conscience and starts to use it to condemn us, bro, it's done. It's over. Like, there's, you can't do anything because it's in you. You know what I mean? And the only way to get out of that is to erase your conscience. And you don't want to do that because that's how you come to God. But when God takes over a person's life and washes it with his blood, it's a different lifestyle. Not because you're just a better person. Your conscience is clean. You're, you don't feel, that's the thing, you don't feel guilt or shame for the things you have done in the past. 
That feeling of guilt or shame, again, to me, is one of the worst feelings that there is. Feeling of a conscience putting you down. God is able to take that feeling away entirely. But the idea is this. A person needs to come to God and acknowledge, acknowledge that their conscience is correct in telling them that they're wrong. Acknowledge that their conscience is correct in telling them that they don't reach up to the, to the righteousness and the goodness of God. And by accepting that idea, being like, yeah, conscience, yeah, say, yeah, I'm not good enough. Yeah, I did sin. Yeah, I did do that. But that is why I'm coming to Christ. I'm asking him to cleanse my conscience. I don't want to be part of, you know, do that anymore. I don't want to be part of that life. I want to live a different life. Bro, God is able not to take and just make you a different person. He's able to change the way, like, you think about your past life, the way that you imagine your future because your conscience is now clean. So my question today as I'm closing, how is your conscience doing? Seriously, though, how is your conscience doing? Because this is the place. Um, We live, most most of our life, we live out in the world. And, um... Satan has, can play so many tricks on our conscience, on us, using our conscience, I believe, because it's part of our soul. My question to you today is, how is your conscience doing as of right now? Is it washed by the blood of Jesus? Or are you still trying to battle the guilt and the shame of whatever you've done? And Satan could, you know, it could be some huge thing, or Satan can take the smallest thing in your life and make you feel like you're the worst person for that thing. My call to us today is, let's run to Jesus. This, this isn't just like, try this. It may be, may, may be worth it. It may work for you. No, it works 100%. When we come, but it has to be sincere. When we come to God sincerely, say, no, no, no. I, w- I want to figure this out. Lord, help me. God will cleanse your conscience. But you need, you need to want it to be cleansed. Um, and maybe someone here has been a Christian, has been, um, had their conscience cleansed, but the lifestyle that they, we've been living, that you've been living, it's been going against your conscience. It's been going against the Holy Spirit. And you, you, you're aware that like, yeah, my conscience is either A, it's becoming less and less dim, and I can't hear... I don't feel like I'm close, closer to God anymore. Or uh, maybe your conscience is screaming right now. Maybe right now is the peak of when your conscience is like, stop, like change something. This is not right. You're a Christian. Again, my call today is let's run to Jesus. Let's fall at his feet. I, I will say there are, there, there are things in, in life, and this is a topic that I feel like we just need more time to address, uh, where like I, that I purposely talked about a conscience that's overreactive. That's not what I'm talking about. Uh, but even when, it, when we're talking about an overreactive conscience, when you're like, you can't pray in sh- you know, shorts like I, or you can't you know, you know, sit in, in service, or, or, uh, or uh, I don't know, take communion, uh, because your conscience is just like hyperactive. Again, run to Jesus. Talk to him, get closer to him, say, Lord, this is an issue. Like, I want to serve you, but I can't. I have no zeal. Because my conscience is constantly convicting me. And see what God can do.
Let's stand. Let's pray.